This episode of No Place Like Home is being brought to you by the Sierra Club, which encourages you to get out there and explore, enjoy, and protect the planet. Join Sierra Club's 3 million members and supporters who are working to power this nation with 100% clean energy at sierraclub.org. And now on to this episode of No Place Like Home. Hi, I'm Anna Jane Joyner. And I'm Marianne Hitt. And this is No Place Like Home, a show that gets to the heart of climate change. Today, it's just me and Marianne. Yay! And we're going to chat about pop culture, including my minor obsession with Game of Thrones, as well as some of our favorite recent climate stories. But first, Marianne and I have some catching up to do. Yay! Hi, Marianne. How are you? I am great, Anna Jane. It is so good to hear your voice. And I know you just took this spontaneous, epic road trip that I am very excited to hear about. Um, But before we do that, I just want to give a quick shout out to our awesome listeners who have been reaching out to us on Twitter and email and Facebook and letting us what they know of the show and the episodes. We love hearing from y'all. And I want to share some of the topics that folks have suggested because we're going to do a Twitter poll and let you listeners choose the topic of a future episode for us. So Renee wrote to us suggesting something on the psychology of climate communications and engagement. Fascinating. Uh, Diogo uh, wrote me a note suggesting we talk about using film and film screenings as a way to do community engagement. Very cool. Derek asked us to do an episode on the effects of animal agriculture on climate change, which was a huge topic that would be fascinating to cover. Uh, Twitter handle news you can use suggested something, a kind of climate news roundup like science Friday, but uh, focused on climate science news and then sustainable John uh, after grist called us the car talk of climate change suggested a topic uh, around cars no car talk electric vehicle car talk car share talk so very clever sustainable John all really cool ideas so Anna Jane we're going to do a Twitter poll and put some of these ideas out there and see what our listeners want to hear and we will let them choose a topic of a future show so good times huh so What do you think? I love it. I like my favorite part of this podcast is being in conversation with so many of you. And of course, you, Marianne. So I'm stoked that people are reaching out to us and suggesting these awesome ideas. And I can't wait to see um, see what people think we should do for one of our upcoming shows. So stay tuned and we will have those conversations soon. For sure. And keep the new ideas coming too, because I'm sure y'all have tons more. And so real quick, a couple of things happening for our listeners to keep you plugged into the fight for the future of humanity and our planet. And then uh, Anna Jane and I have got a great catch up ahead. Uh, but uh, in recent days, two things happened. One, we had uh, one, a very rare public hearing at the EPA. When Obama was the president, there were lots of public hearings at the EPA headquarters in D.C. Uh, those are almost never happening these days on the Trump regime. But we had one about this proposal that Trump has to delay and we think ultimately get rid of pollution standards for water toxics coming out of coal-fired power plants. And coal-fired power plants are the single biggest source of toxic water pollution in this country. It's nasty stuff like lead and mercury and arsenic that is linked to cancer and birth defects and all sorts of horrible health problems. 
enormous amounts, millions of, you know, gallons of this stuff pouring into our streams and rivers and lakes. And in 2015, there were standards put in place to actually require better treatment of this waste and, and cleanup of it. And shocking to none of our listeners, I'm sure, uh, Trump and his uh, buddy Scott Pruitt, who is the buddy of all fossil fuel uh, industry folks, are trying to roll this back. And so we had a hearing. It was, Anna Jane, you would have loved it because there were community leaders from all like over 10 states, mostly red states like Georgia, North Carolina, Missouri, uh, and people who are living with this coal ash pollution every day and who were there to say, can you please not take away the standard? This was the one thing that we were hoping would help. And there's a woman who um, was a ninth generation on her family farm in Tennessee that had been affected by the big coal ash spill in 2008 by TVA. Uh, and she said, I do not, she was like, I'm from a conservative state. I under, I don't understand how this has gotten so polarized. This is not about a red issue or a blue issue. This is a people issue. We don't have safe water where I live. And, uh, so it was just this incredible showing, uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. was there. Lots of other environmental leaders were there. And we definitely let EPA know that delaying the standard is not, uh, something that we are going to sit by and let them do. I know I was I saw some of your pictures and I have to tell you I had a little bit of envy because I I used to go to a lot of those hearings and it was just funny. I was like, wow, it's I don't I don't I never saw myself as someone who was like, man, I really wish I was at that EPA hearing. But I have to say from past experience, they're actually a lot of fun and very touching and emotional. Um so I'm really glad you were there. And making our voices heard right now in those settings is so important. And then last quick thing I'll say is that similarly uh, Scott Pruitt has been trying to delay uh, another standard, environmental standard, a clean air standard for smog. And he was well on his way to basically doing the same thing he's doing with this water standard for coal plants, which is try to just delay it and then ultimately unravel it. And they pulled that back. They're not doing it. And we think it's because they realized that it was illegal, uh, that they don't have the authority once a you know, environmental safeguard is in place to just arbitrarily say, oh, actually, never mind. You don't have to really do this for the foreseeable future. So they pulled it back. So it was it was a, a victory for us, initial victory for sure, but a sign that our challenging them in courts and challenging them in the streets, uh, it does pay off and we just have to stay vigilant. So some signs of hope for you that uh, grassroots power and the power of the public interest is uh, still going strong and we're still out there fighting for our clean air and our clean water and our climate. So go everybody out there who's part of this. Thank you. And we will keep uh, keeping up the good fight. And then last thing I'll note while you were gone is Al Gore. It's popping up all over the place. He's got a new movie. Have you seen uh, any of his appearances? I have, I actually haven't seen that. I mean, I was gone for the past week, um, but I'm so excited. It looks just from the brief, you know, tweets and um, I saw actually a music video that came up today um, that was associated with the film. It looks fascinating. I can't wait to see it. I'm super, super interested and excited. Well, that's a topic for a future episode because I haven't seen it either. And after we see it, we'll talk about it. And hopefully we can have someone on the show who's part of the film. But in the meantime, uh, I think you and I were, are uh, have lots of other catching up to do about so many cool climate stories that have been out there. We wanted to just do a roundup climate and pop culture uh, and share what we're thinking about all that. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited for this combo. My favorite topic. And we'll be back with that right after this. 
Hey everybody, my name is Carlos. I'm from San Juan, Puerto Rico, and this is your dinner party climate fact for today. Scientists recently reported that 2016 was the hottest year on record. What? Okay, Anna Jane. So as promised at the top of the show, we are going to be talking today about pop culture climate moments that have been happening lately. There have been a bunch and you are the communications guru here. So um, I would love uh, for you to start us off with um, one of these. We've got a handful, about half a dozen of these pop culture climate moments. And we just want to talk about what we think, why they worked, uh, why they were interesting. Um, So where do you think we should start? So one of my favorite things that I have seen come up over the past few months is this podcast by one of my favorite podcasts called The Liturgist, um, which they're, it's really fascinating. They're a group of um, artists who came out of sort of the evangelical space that they were likewise raised in the evangelical church, but they're sort of in this, I want to say like kind of spiritual journey, I guess, where it's, they've kind of, they're sort of dissecting their evangelical upbringing and bringing in other, other uh, kinds of thinking. And, and they really just do a great job of of talking about important issues in a way that's uh, almost sacred feeling and and very reverent and also very open-minded and, and kind of curious. And they did a episode on climate change, which I was thrilled also because they have hundreds of thousands of listeners of people who mostly grew up in the evangelical church. When we look down at the earth from space, you know, we see this amazing, indescribably beautiful planet. It looks like a living, breathing organism, but it also at the same time looks extremely fragile. Because you go outside on a clear day and it's the big blue sky and it's like it goes on forever, right? And and how could we possibly, you know, put enough stuff into it to fill it up with things that really change it? And yet, you see it from space and it's this thin line which is just barely hugging the surface of the planet. So kind of a, a new audience in a lot of ways for this. And and you got to listen to it as well. And I'd just love to hear what your your feedback was. Let me just say, first of all, did you, you told me that it is the number one religion and spirituality podcast on iTunes. Is that right? That is that is true. At least last time I checked, which was in, in the past two weeks. So so a bajillion people listen to this podcast. And I have to say, I, I was running around telling everyone to listen to this because it was the most moving storytelling about what is at stake for our climate that I have heard that I can really honestly remember. I can, I have never heard anything in my ears that touched me in the same way. And without spoiling it for people, they're, they talk with a filmmaker who's made this film about the perspective of astronauts who go up into space and how they see the Earth once they're up there. It is just gripping because it just hits you in your heart about just what a precious planet this is and how beautiful it is and what a sacred responsibility we have to take care of it. And, you know, you know more about this than me, Anna Jane, but then it goes into this whole sort of theological discussion about, you know, Christianity and our complicated relationship with Christianity and taking care of the earth, which is fascinating. And it's just great storytelling. It was just so good. Everybody just go listen to it. Yeah, I listened to it and definitely just cried (laughs) given I'm 
um, obviously very touched by these by these subjects. But I, I do think, I mean, just following them on Twitter, so many people said, you know, not only was this one of the best conversations they've ever heard on climate change, but it was one of the most, I think this, um, at Kyle Steed said, it's one of the most humbling, sobering, and hopeful conversations he's listened to all year. And it's about climate change. <laughs> so not only is it a great piece on climate change, it's just a really great conversation. And, and it's absolutely uh, worth listening to for people of, of all spiritual perspectives. I think there's something really... Um, you know, it's just insightful about about the way that they they discuss this issue. Well, speaking of religion and uh, turning to our next, do you want to turn to our next one? Who is a, a famous person who is no friend of religion, Mr. Bill Maher, <laughs> who is also uh, problematic for uh, some recent comments on his show and recent inappropriate use of of a word that has, uh, you know, made him problematic to say the least. And so we want to caveat that up front. But he did do this very pointed and very funny piece about Mars. And finally, new rule tomorrow in honor of Earth Day. Everyone has to shut up about Mars. (laughs) Shut up about Mars and how cool it would be to live there and start over someplace new. This is a dangerous idea that our culture is already too taken with, that we can keep on trashing Earth because we got Mars. This fun, new happening spot. Come on, Bill, don't be a stick in the solar system. (laughs) Red is the new green. It's the party planet right next door. Mars, more like (laughs) Mars-a-lago. Even Donald Trump, who isn't a real billionaire but plays one on TV, (laughs) favors Mars over Earth. His budget slashes the EPA, but last month he signed a bill calling for a manned mission to Mars by 2033, which NASA estimates would cost $450 billion. Here's a crazy idea. If we're going to take up the challenge to overhaul a planet, let's do this one. You know, I think really good content does one of a couple of things. It surprises you, it makes you feel something profound, or it makes you laugh. And in this case, I think he really hit all three. And he, you know, he's basically the whole context is why are we talking about Mars? And he did this as an Earth Day episode. So he's like, as a rule on Earth Day, new rule, we don't talk about Mars. We're not going to Mars. Mars is a ridiculous idea. Let's talk about saving the Earth we actually have. And he just does it in this very, it is very direct and really calls some people out, some of these big um, billionaires, even people who are on our climate team, like Elon Musk and Richard Branson for kind of creating this fantasy mythology around we're just going to move to Mars and everything will be cool when in fact we need uh, we need a lot of that kind of energy and big thinking and big vision to go towards just saving our Earth home. And um, he's had some great lines. I think one of my favorites was, you know, when I'm booking my travel, oxygen is pretty essential <laughs> and uh, kind of juxtaposes Mars and Earth and is like, one is a, you know, basically a dead rock with no oxygen and the other has all of, you know, we've evolved, it's evolved to support life. And the, I can't even recreate how hilarious and pointed and effective it was, um, but it definitely struck me. What did you think, Marianne? Well, the the main thing that I took away from it was like, how rarely do we 
ever make this funny. I mean, how rarely, mm-hmm. and when you use humor, I think, uh, about anything, it kind of people's defenses are down a little bit and people are open to new information when it's presented with humor and doesn't, it doesn't mean they're not going to take it seriously. I mean, look at Louis CK, look at all these, you know, great, great comedians who are getting people to think powerfully about things like race or, uh, gender or what have you with, with comedy, you know? And, uh, it's just, I, we never do it when it comes to climate change. And it was, uh, a welcome, it was a welcome new way of thinking about it for me. Yeah. And what I, I mean, one of my favorite parts, I mean, the whole thing was very hilarious, but there was a very profound moment towards the end where he just was going through all of the beautiful things that are a part of earth, you know, butterflies, rainbows, um, and, and you kind of like could step back and almost feel it in that moment. Like, wow, these are special. These aren't worth just kind of sacrificing for this, for either, you know, just kind of disregard or for this idea of another planet we could move to. It's like, we are, we're living on a very beautiful and sacred place. And we should absolutely be putting our energy into saving that. So another piece of content that really struck me recently was on the media did this uh, gorgeous podcast story on, it was actually on climate change fiction. And so they went through all of these different climate change science fiction. So they went through all of these new books that have come out that kind of blend climate change with science fiction. I really encourage you to check it out. Um, some powerful storytelling in there. But the thing that actually, the piece that struck me the most was the very end. And um, they called it uh, celestalgia and other words for our changing world. Yeah. Well, literally uh, kind of pre-spring or before spring. This is when your flowers blossom long before they're expected to, or the trees leaf out when they're supposed to still be bare. Yeah. I think we all know this now. Did you see the snowdrops? They shouldn't be out yet. The celandines have popped. What's going on? What's going on? You know, so often we hear that phrase. We live in an untimely time when things are starting to behave out of sync and out of joint. Tell me about shadow time. It seems applicable to a number of scenarios. Climate change would be one of them, but maybe not the only one. And what it was, it's um, this English professor who his job is actually taking words and kind of words that we don't necessarily, that we sort of know, but we don't, we know the feeling, but we don't necessarily know the word for it or have language for it. Um, So for example, his word of today today, which I follow him on Twitter, is go kata, which is a Swedish word that means waking up early and going outside to hear the dawn bird song. So it's like all of this beautiful language that he sort of codifies to describe these very intimate spiritual moments that most of us don't have language for. So they engage him in creating some new words around climate change. And it's just such a powerful segment. Um, But, you know, for example, one of them that really (laughs) stuck out to me was celestalgia, which is a word that describes a form of psychic or existential distress caused by environmental change, such as mining or climate change. So it's basically, it just goes through kind of all of these different vocabulary words, which sounds really boring, but it's actually really beautiful and very touching. So I, if you're kind of a nerd word like me, I encourage you to check it out. Yeah, because I listened to that a little bit. He talked about nostalgia is the feeling you have for some a place you aren't anymore, like your childhood home or something. But soul nostalgia is for a place you're in the same place, but the place isn't the same anymore because of mining or because of climate change. And I thought that was just... Just to even put your finger on that being a thing as a phenomenon and then putting a word to it is, uh, it's like poetry, you know? It was oh, really it's, 
So it gave me chills and it was such a creative way to talk about these changes and the profound impact they have on our lives. And speaking of poetry, this would not episode would not be complete if we did not just give a shout out to both S town, the incredible podcast, uh, phenomenon and the New York magazine climate story earlier this summer. That was their most read story in history. We've talked about both of those on this podcast. Um, and, uh, so maybe let's not go into great depth about them here, but in terms of pop culture, climate moments of 2016, 2017, what year is it? (laughs) (laughs) Hall of fame. You know, those are definitely going in the hall of fame of, of pop culture climate moments. Yeah, both of them just broke through. I mean, S-Town had over 40 million downloads in the first couple of weeks, which is unheard of when it comes to a podcast. And of course, there's this rich climate storytelling throughout it. And then New York Magazine, The Uninhabitable Earth by um, David Wallace Wells. It's the most read story in New York Magazine history. So I think both of those are great examples of historic uh, or beautifully told kind of innovative ways of talking about climate change um, that we haven't seen very much of before we um we did and if you missed the last episode we talked a lot about the new york magazine article at the top of the show so go check that out that one out rising from the ashes prior episode um, but i did just hear an interview recently with a person who made the s-town podcast and he someone asked him if he you know thought john b macklemore would have liked the show or if what the show would have been like if he was still alive and he was like well look if john b macklemore would have made the show there would have been like four episodes about peak oil. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like it would have been a lecture about climate change if, if he had made the show, but he didn't make the show. I made the show. And so, and- you know, again, this is like this such this uh, powerful, unforgettable character that I think everyone in America fell in love with. And, you know, Southern, uh, very surprising Alabama. person who was <laughs> predominant preoccupation of his life. One of them was was climate change. So uh, it was yeah. just uh and I think Powerful. two really important like points of both of those, both S-Town and the New York Magazine, is they were they were people who were telling the stories who were outside of kind of the climate space. They were both reporters who like cared about climate change, but weren't, you know, climate reporters or climate activists. And I think that just goes to show that we do need these new voices and these uh, new perspectives to kind of add texture and layers and, and new ways of looking at this issue. And it really does strengthen the overall conversation. Um and that's that's really exciting. And I think it also shows that climate change is becoming more and more of a prescient issue to people outside of just the climate space. Um, so I was I was very grateful to see both of them weighing in. And the thing that I loved about S-Town, too, was just how it interweaved climate change with this person's real life. You know, like it was it was not a climate story. It was a story about this fascinating person where climate change was a part of it. And I, I, I don't know, I'm really intrigued by by ways to um, by ways to kind of have this be a more inner, you know, because even the two of us, like, even though climate change is a huge part of our life, it's not the only part of our life. (laughs) And like, when we're telling human stories, I think it's important to really kind of capture some of how these things interweave with each other. Well, speaking of other parts of our life, I don't think this episode would be complete unless we mentioned Game of Thrones, which I, um, I'm now going to be like, probably hated by many (laughs) people on, uh, uh, who listen to our show, but I, don't watch Game of Thrones. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Zach. I don't think- I'm sorry, Anna Jane. I'm sorry, <laughs> listeners. Uh, but I know that it, I do know that it's a giant phenomenon and it's back. And there was an article uh, 
in Vanity Fair comparing the different characters in Game of Thrones to who's who in the climate fight when it, if you if they were characters in Game of Thrones and the Sierra Club was included and we were Hodor. So I can just say that I know that uh, there has definitely got to be some sort of a nexus between Game of Thrones and climate change. And uh, Anna Jane, I am looking to you I, to tell us what it is. And also to I, tell tell me what it means that the Sierra Club is Hodor. <laughs> I will be your maester, which people who listen to Game of Thrones will know what that means. Um, but I don't think you will be hated, maybe a little crazy, because it's one of the best stories I've ever come across. But it is very intense as well. Um, but yeah, so cli- um, so Game of Thrones is fascinating. It is not a climate story. And even the author, J.R.R. Martin, has specifically said this is not, you know, not specifically about climate change. But the basic context is you have this kind of warring kingdom. There's seven seven different kingdoms. They're all fighting over power. And there's lots of intrigue and sex and politics um, and betrayal. And then there's this kind of giant existential threat called the White Walkers, which is this kind of zombie ice army that is moving towards this unsuspecting world and, you know, really about to destroy them and to just lay waste to everything that they hold dear and to their way of life and to all of these people and characters that you're very attached to. And there's a small subset of of characters within the, the Seven Kingdoms who get it, who have seen the White Walkers, who know they're coming, who are afraid, and they're kind of trying to um, to warn the rest of the kingdom that there is this bigger threat. And while we're they're kind of all squabbling over these um, smaller, you know, arguments and problems and who's going to rule the throne and who's going to rule, you know, et cetera. It's like, you know, in this last episode, there's a great line by one of the beloved characters named Jon Snow, who's kind of one of the few who really sees the, the big existential crisis coming. And he's just like, we're children. <laughs> we're children fighting over a game. And if we can't stop the squabbling, you know, we're going to be, whoever survives is going to be, if anyone survives, is going to be ruling over a graveyard. And it's, there's just so many parallels between uh, what's happening in that show and what we're seeing in the world today. Um, you know, I think it's, and there's been lots of commentary. I mean, this is the seventh season. So there's all that, you know, this has been in discussion for a long time and it has been kind of this uh, cultural phenomenon, but you know, it, it, it feels, you know, at the beginning it felt kind of like this like theoretical fantastical world. And then as, you know, Trump gets elected and climate change becomes more and more of a problem and you were seeing all these huge geopolitical problems show up and, and kind of become more severe. It does feel that way a little bit if you're working on climate change. It's like, yeah, all this shit is really scary um, and seems important. But at the same time, if we don't deal with this massive existential threat, then we're going to be ruling over a graveyard. So, yeah, that's kind of the crux. Awesome. And so Sierra Club is Hodor. What does that mean? So, so Hodor is a beloved character who um, is kind of the protector. So the Sierra Club is essentially seen as uh, a, a protective force that's holding back this insane army that they can't hold back by themselves for forever. But in this really critical moment, it, it provided a way of moving forward and creating life and and hopefully um, that effort combined with efforts from lots of other people will will lead to the defeat of the White Walkers, ultimately. That is so awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Join us. Help us hold the door. We can't yes. do it by ourselves. Oh, wow. I love that. It's also a great example of how art and 
cinema and culture can can tell these powerful stories and, and metaphors. And even when they're not directly climate related, they can still very much apply to to real situations we're experiencing um, in, in the real world, IRL. It definitely <laughs> sounds like the a pretty powerful metaphor for this big existential threat that so far only a few people really can wrap their minds around. Uh, meanwhile, as the rest of the world squabbles. Uh, so uh, I had not connected those dots and thank you for connecting them. Maybe our listeners have, but we would love to hear from them. What do you think? Are y'all watching? Does that make sense to you? Very cool. Uh, so is that it? Do we have anything else in our pop culture climate roundup, Anna Jane? I think that's all I've got. I mean, I've always got my eye on this stuff, so I'm sure I'll be back with some more thoughts soon. But those were my favorite in the recent. Other than I'm super excited to see Al Gore's new movie, and I look forward to talking about that in our next episode. Yes. Uh, as soon as we have seen it, either the next episode or a future one, as soon as we've laid our eyes on it, and hopefully someone from the film will be on. Uh, and please, uh, again, we're going to be doing this Twitter poll uh, for other ideas for future episodes. So jump on that. And if there's some other pop culture climate moments we have missed, let us know what they are. Anna Jane, this has been so much fun. I hope you enjoy this uh beautiful steamy uh month of august uh before summer gets away from us likewise marianne all right that does it for us that does it for this episode anna jane and i want to thank y'all so much for listening and we also want to thank the band river wireless for our theme music and our sponsor the sierra club this episode was produced by the amazing zach mack who has not yet had a chance to see Outward's new movie, The Inconvenient Sequel, but neither have Marianne and I, so we can't give him too much black. But we will soon. <laughs> At the first available opportunity. Uh, y'all, please subscribe and rate and review us on iTunes. It is the most important thing you can do to help other people find the podcast and help us get the word out. We appreciate it so much. We read them all and it just means a great deal to us. So thank you and uh, please keep Please keep it coming. Worms are hard. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts, and we'll be posting all episodes and updates and information about upcoming episodes on our Twitter page at NPLH Podcasts. Be sure to follow us there. Please jump on Twitter. Look for that Twitter poll um, and also share any questions you have there, comments, suggestions. If you want to read a dinner party climate fact, you can send that in with your phone voice memo uh, feature. And we'd love to have you do that as well. So reach out to us. We are at NPLH podcast on Twitter. And remember, there's no place like home. <laughs>